0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. Right now, The Walking Dead is absolutely my favorite show on television. Um, and, and when I got the chance to talk about it in a service, I absolutely jumped at it. I, as you can tell, I'm super fired up about today. So for those of you that don't know, this whole show is about what the world would look like if zombies took over. They call it the zombie apocalypse, if that's what happened on this world. And the way that this show looks at this world is through the lens of one tribe of survivors. This tribe is led by this guy, Rick Grimes. He's kind of the, the dude on this show. Now, Rick's tribe is a small, diverse collection of scrappy survivors facing overwhelming odds. At this point in their world, it seems like pretty much everybody has turned into zombies. You see, a virus has swept through the country, swept through the world, and what we've seen is that when people die, they turn to something far different than what they were while alive. On the show, they call them walkers, which is pretty normal, which is pretty understandable, because all they pretty much do is just kind of walk around and wait for their next meal, wait to devour humans. And on their own, it's kind of a not a big deal when you face one of these walkers. They're not very fearful or you shouldn't be too afraid of them because each time one person a survivor comes against them, they normally make out okay with them. And what ends up happening is they're really just this sad uh, shell of their own selves. It's just, they've been completely taken over by the world and they've lost every single aspect of what made them special at one point in their life. Each week we tune in And we hope against hope that Rick and his tribe don't come and and fall into one of these herds, that they don't get overtaken by this world. Uh, We wanna make sure that the people that we've invested in make it out alive. And there's plenty of suspense. Lots of surprises throughout the, the series, and I'd be lying if, if I told you guys that I didn't jump every now and then, or, uh, you know, every, it's weird, sometimes I'm watching the show and the covers get over my head, I don't understand it, uh, it's, 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 it gets real drafty in my house sometimes, um, but, you know, it can get downright creepy, as you guys saw from the opening credits of the, the TV show and the opening song, it, it's kind of a creepy show from time to time, um, however, Zombies jumping out of a room uh, onto an unsuspecting human or, or, you know, the the zombie thing can get kind of old if that's all they had going for them. It would be a very boring and predictable television show. But it's been going on for six years now. So how is it that this show has been able to uh, survive and thrive in such a, a great fashion? Well, it's because this show is about more than just zombies. In a lot of ways, the idea of the world ending at the hands of zombies is just the background of everything. It's not the actual story. The real story is about a world that has lost all of its morality and a small group of people trying to hold on to that morality. The real story is about a tribe of people banding together and working with one another trying to take on this world that is violent, but above all, it's looking to devour them. There's danger literally around every corner and what keeps these people safe and sane is their tribe. And Americans are loving this show. According to the Nielsen television ratings, this last, the beginning of this season that just happened a few months ago, the Nielsen rating said that over 22 million people watched the first episode of the year. To give you guys a perspective on that, it was up against an NFL football game at the same time and more people watched The Walking Dead than that NFL football game. Yeah, so for that night, The Walking Dead was more popular than the NFL. It's crazy. You see, the U.S. is interested in this show because in a lot of ways, their world, the world that uh, Rick and the rest of his tribe live in, is kind of what we deal with on a regular basis. We live in a world that is set up to devour us. And just like Rick, we have fears in our world. We have just as many fears as Rick and the rest of his tribe have, except for one real difference. Our fears are real. They're grounded in reality. So how do we get by? How do we survive in a world that's looking to devour us? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a guy that dealt with a world like that. His name was Moses. You see, Moses was born into fear, His people, the Hebrews, were slaves in the nation of Egypt. And even then, even though they were slaves, the king, Pharaoh, was still threatened by this group of slaves. Because what was happening was, with each passing year, their numbers would grow and they would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And more and more of these Hebrew people would be in his country. So what he feared was that somebody else would come and attack Egypt. And when that happened, these Hebrews would turn on Egypt and join the attacking nation and eventually overrun them. So he came up with an idea. He ordered that every single Hebrew boy born from then on out would be killed shortly after birth. It was genocide. But Moses' mother had an idea. She thought if she could get the boy out and then put him into a basket in the river at the time when a lot of the Egyptians were coming and doing their work and drawing water and things of that nature, that if that happened, one of the Egyptians would take him in and raise them as their own. And that's exactly what happened. And not only that, it was like the jackpot of all Egyptians finding this baby. It was the daughter of Pharaoh. A real-life princess found him and named him Moses and then raised him as her own. He grew up in the palace and learned all the ways of being an Egyptian. But he also felt the connection to his people, a deep connection to his people. And as he got older, he was working in the fields, overseeing all the work being done by his his, uh, race, his group of people in the fields. And one day he's out there and an Egyptian man, also overseeing stuff, goes to kind of talk with one of the Hebrews. Hebrews. And it turns into a scuffle, and eventually, the Egyptian man starts to beat this Hebrew. Well, Moses jumps in, looks around, takes a survey of everything, makes sure nobody's looking, and then not only does he beat this Egyptian, but he beats him to death. He kills him. And then what he does after that is he digs a hole and buries him in the hole, hoping that nobody would ever find out. So the next day... Moses is back out there working, overseeing all the labor, and two Hebrew men then get into a fight. So Moses steps into this to try and break it up. And in what I imagine is a very sarcastic, just biting way, one of the men asks him this, are you planning to kill me too, like you did the Egyptian? So when he hears that, when Moses hears that, he understands first off that his people don't respect him, that that they've turned on him that they don't think that he's one of them. And not only that, but once this gets around, once it gets into the hands of the authorities, Moses is in deep, deep trouble. So what does he do? He fled. Fear sent Moses away and made him hide. Now when you look at his story, Moses had been fearfully running for his entire life. There was danger at his doorstep before he was born. Fear drove him from one situation to the next, and you can't just run from fear. It always catches up to you, right? Just like in The Walking Dead, when there's a zombie way far away, one of those walkers are over there, and they just kind of ignore it and leave it be. What we end up up finding days later is that that same walker is devouring the person that ignored it or somebody else that they loved. You see, if we don't deal with our fear, it will devour us. If we don't deal with our fear, it will devour us. So how do we survive in this world that's against us? How do we keep our fears from devouring us? Well, let's take a look more at Moses' story. You see, at this point, Moses is out of Egypt. He ran away, hiding out. He left his entire life, his cushy palace, all the riches that come along with it, and the only family he'd ever known. And he started over. In Exodus 2, Moses is living a very different life. At this point, he's no longer Moses, uh, the miracle child that escaped genocide. He's no longer Moses, the prince of Egypt. And he's definitely no longer Moses, the murderer. At this point, the only thing he's really known as is Moses, the shepherd, and what we know about his life, it was seemed to be pretty good. He had a wife, he got married, had some children, had a wise father-in-law, had some land, and had a decent job as a, as a shepherd. But one day he's out uh, walking around in this flock. And I imagine at this point he's feeling pretty disappointed in himself. Uh, he's, he's frustrated that he just threw away this fantastic life, a life if you look at it that God orchestrated to give to him. He threw away the, the blessing that God had because of his fears. So he's walking his his flock one day, and all of a sudden this bush catches fire next to him. And as he's looking at it, he's realizing that the bush isn't wilting, as you'll see wood normally wilt when it's in a fire. It just kind of stays aflame. So as Moses goes closer to look at it and, and inspect the situation, he hears a voice call out from the bush, and it says this. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. What a day for Moses. He went from being a shepherd walking his flock to seeing a burning bush that, isn't a sting, that can't be extinguished, to getting a call from God to take, on, take a nation out of Egypt. That's insane, right? Now to add more to this, he's gotta go through Pharaoh to make this happen. So for those of you that don't know, Pharaoh's like the king of Egypt, right? He's the guy in charge of the entire nation. And at this point in history, Egypt is a world superpower. Maybe the most powerful country in the world. So what God has asked Moses to do is all alone take on the world's most powerful country. No big deal, right? I mean, when Moses looked at the situation, I'm sure he would, if he had the choice between zombie apocalypse and taking on this, he would pick zombie apocalypse because he probably likes his chances a lot better there. But you see, when it comes to something like this, It's just kind of a crazy thing. And he wasn't fully convinced that he could do it. And we look at the scripture when he says something like this. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Three more times after that, Moses questioned God and his call in his life. And each time, God met him with a concession, a way to make it a little bit easier for Moses to get this done. And in his book, Theology as Narration, George Knight had this to say about the exchange between God and Moses. He said, God must shake Moses out of his selfish rationalizations. Moses must learn that it is God who is calling him to do the absurdly difficult thing. Now, the common denominator in Moses' responses every time he questioned God was this one thing. He was looking at his own resources. He was looking at the resources that he had at his hands, which isn't that much. He's just a guy. Not only is he just a guy, he's a guy that ran away from his family, that ran away from the situation God put him in, and not only that, he's a murderer. What can he do? He's looking at his own resources when he should have been looking at The resources that God had available, which are infinite. He could speak things into existence. So in the end, Moses still trapped in his selfish ways, his selfish rationalizations, had this to say to God. He said, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. At this point, Moses is happy to be devoured by his fear altogether. The conversation with God that he's having right now reveals the truth about Moses. Pharaoh isn't his enemy. Egypt wasn't his opponent. Moses' real enemy was his fear. And you know what? It's been the same for me in my life, in a handful of situations. For me, my fear is pretty easy to identify. You see, years ago, I had a very different career. I was actually a sportscaster. I was on television on a regular basis. I worked here at Channel 4 WAI uh, for years. And it was something that, uh, some people look as prestigious. And for sure, it was something that eventually would be very lucrative. And not only that, it was something that I sacrificed so much to get into and stay in. But one day, I kind of had my burning bush moment. Nothing caught fire or anything like that. But I, I got a whisper. I, I, I got a word. And it was that I needed to quit my job. So at this point, I understood that I needed to listen to him. I understood that I had to go do something else. I understood I had to leave. But for an entire year, I didn't do anything. I stayed there. And you see, what kept me there was my fear. I wasn't afraid about paying bills. I wasn't afraid that uh, people would think I was strange for quitting my job. And it wasn't that I was fearful God wouldn't provide for me. You see, what kept me there, what was devouring me, was the fear of me letting God down. I had no problem that he would hold up his end of the bargain. I knew that. But I couldn't say the same about myself. I was standing in front of God saying, who am I to be called to do anything for you at all? Well, that call, it led me here, and it led me to standing in front of all of you right here, right now, and as I stand up here, I know exactly how undeserving I am to be in front of you. And as a matter of fact, this same question was popping up the entire time I was putting together this talk. Who am I? I'm not a great theologian. I'm still a student. I'm in seminary right now. Who am I? I'm not the most compelling speaker that you guys get to see up here on a regular basis. When we have people like Doug and Lee Wong and John Pyle and Shad and Dave Sadoff and Brent Sadoff and all these other great speakers that get to come on this stage, I don't measure up to them. Who am I? I mean, I don't even have a cool beard like Doug or anything like that. (laughs) I just... I can't walk into a room and like command respect like the way Doug does. So who am I to be near any of this in any way, shape, or form at all? So what about you guys? What fears have kept you moving in the next right thing in your life? What fear is keeping you from listening to that burning bush? Are you afraid that your friends and family will think you're crazy? Are you afraid that following your call will keep you from paying your rent next month? Or are you afraid that by following this call, you're not gonna be the parent to your child the way that you should be? Well, you see, when you look back to the story of Moses, he did get one thing right in this exchange, one thing very right, and it's when he asked this of God. He said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So finally, Moses is asking the right question. He's not asking, who am I? He's asking, whose Am I? He's asking who he belongs to. He's asking who's going to make sure this word will come to pass. Who's guaranteeing this? And the answer to the, both of those questions is our God. The creator of the universe, the alpha, and the omega. Which brings us to our big idea for today. I am is greater than am I. I am is greater than am I. Our God is greater than any of our fears or insecurities that we have surrounding us. That's something we have to remember every single day. It's something that I have to tell myself every time before I walk up onto this stage. That alone is a fantastic act of grace from God in our lives. It's something that Moses did not initially understand. I mean, after the first time Moses questioned God, God could have picked up, walked down the road, and picked the next best shepherd to make sure his word came to pass. But he didn't. He made concessions. Not only that, Moses still got to be one of the leaders of the nation of Israel at the end of the day. Now, when we look at humanity in general, there are so many ways that we failed God. We are totally deserving every single piece of wrath he can conjure up, but he shows us grace. And there's no better example of that grace than in Jesus. When Jesus came down to earth, he was God in human form, and he did it perfectly. He lived without sin, perfect. It was the exact opposite of how a lot of us, how all of us live our lives without perfection, But in his perfection, he knew that the only chance that we had at everlasting life was for him to take take on our sins, was for him to take on our fears. He looked at all the ways that we fall short. And he did it as an ultimate act of grace. In the same way that God dealt with Moses questioning him, Jesus dealt with us through love. Through love, he took on our sin and our fears. So when we see fears slowly creeping towards us, or if we're in a dark room and all of a sudden those fears ambush us, we can rest knowing that they will never win. All of the things we fear should be seen as future triumphs. When they are conquered, we can know that it was God's grace that delivered the knockout blow. And we know that it isn't our own greatness that dealt with these fears, right? Because if it were our own greatness that could do that, we would have taken care of them already. Those fears wouldn't exist right now. Our inadequacies actually serve as a subtle nod to God's greatness in this world. And that's why it says this in 2 Corinthians. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in great in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So don't fear all the ways you guys fall short. Look at it as a way for God to shine through you. Remember, I am is greater than am I. You have to give yourself a break guys. We all fall short. We all lack certain things. And that's the beauty of Christ. So, when you find your burning bush, listen to it. Now, we might not all get a burning bush. We probably, most of us in this room, won't get a burning bush. But you'll get it in another way. You'll be in a prayer time talking with God, and He'll give you a word or a calling. You'll be driving down the road and you'll hear something come on the radio. You'll be watching a television show and you'll see something. You'll have a friend of yours speak a word into your life that you know is from God. It could be something as simple as like a sign and you just happen to see it and it just resonates with you. So whatever it is, whatever that word is, listen to it and follow it. Don't let your fears get in your way. So I know some of you, in here, or listening right now, and you guys are saying, yeah, that sounds great for all the good people, for all the people that have done all the things the right way. But for me, I I don't even know anything about this God that you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with him. I've never prayed. I've never done any of that stuff. I'm in a place in my life where my fears have devoured me. I've done things that I can't come back from. If that's you, if you're saying anything remotely like that, well, you're in good company because that's the exact place Moses was in when the burning bush appeared to him. So I want you to take this, this moment right now as your burning bush moment. This is the time that God has orchestrated a handful of things for you to be listening to this right now so you could enter into a relationship with him, so you can be a part of his tribe. So if that's something you wanna do, if you wanna put down those fears and you wanna be a part of God's tribe, I ask that all of you bow your heads right now and then pray something along like this with me. Father, I thank you for loving me I thank you for calling me right now to be a part of your tribe, to be a part of your family. I thank you for the sacrifice you made for me. And right here, right now, the best way I know how, I accept it. I accept that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you. Amen. Now, I ask that you guys kind of keep your heads bowed still. And I want to address the fears in this room. I want you guys to think about what it is that's keeping you from listening to the calling God has put into your life. And in this moment, right now, I want you to allow God to deal with it. So think about whatever it is that's that fear. And I want you to imagine it, grabbing it with your hands and handing it over to God. And pray something like this with me. Lord, I ask you to take on the fears that are surrounding me. I ask you to help me remember how mighty you are. And that you are in my corner. And when you are in my corner, I can do anything. Allow me to hear your call for my life clearly. And allow me to pursue that call with reckless abandon. I accept that you have defeated all the fears in my life. I love you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.